says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of The Tip Sheet. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. And joining me for a super action-packed edition of The Tip Sheet is my good mate, 60s. We've both been battling through COVID, mate. How are you holding up? Mate, I've come out the other side of COVID, so I was free to get out and about on Tuesday. I have to admit, I've just been a little bit cautious, so I've, I've kept my move movements around the community to an absolute bare minimum but i'm fine mate um and maybe we should subtitle this episode of the podcast of in search of that half full glass because i feel that's what i'm aiming for this week the glass half full approach with the uh with the eels after last weekend and fair enough too obviously we we um sort of dug into the post-mortem, uh, both myself and Clint in the live post-game reaction, and then with you the morning after, we both had a quick chat about it. And as, as critical as we were, I think there is good reason to have that glass-half-full approach. So I think that's a good way to sort of theme this episode. And given that we've got a lot to get through, let's start with one of our regulars, mate. Well, John, what a week it's been in both the NRL and out in the Golden West for the Parramatta Reels. Not necessarily the greatest week when I say what a week, but we do have plenty to talk about with our man behind the mic, and that's Spiro Christopoulos from Radio 2GB. Spiro, welcome again to the tip sheet. What have you got for us this week? Nice to be back chatting with you guys. I'm coming to you on location from Parramatta Heartland today, Carlingford. I'm not sure uh, if uh, many of our listeners know the area, but I'm at my grandma's place uh, today, and I think it's uh, it's it's um, not suitable, but it's you know justified coming to you from Parramatta Heartland. It's been a tough week as a fan, kicking off on Monday with that um, loss against the Tigers. Disappointing, but when you consider all the injuries we've had, the changes to the side, the back line, um, our spine, our back five, you've got to cut them a bit of slack and um, and you know realize that yeah, it was a, a disappointing match. We couldn't string it together, but we had a lot of players out, our forwards, even Junior Paulo out, so. Tough result, but um, it is what it is, and I guess we just press on to, to the next game and put this one behind us. What did you think of the way we played the match, mate? Oh, I, th- I think overall we overplayed our hand a little bit, and Brad Arthur speaks about it all the time that you know we have an issue of trying to score off every play and, and, and trying a little bit too hard, if you like. And I think we did that on Monday, and we tried to score off every opportunity, and we rushed our we rushed our plays a little bit, and our our options weren't as polished as they have been in previous weeks. And as I said just a bit earlier, having that backline um, change once again with Wanga Blake out and putting Penasini there, that had a big big difference in my opinion. And as much as I love Will Penasini, I think he's a great young gun and he's a player coming through the ranks that's going to be a star of the future and a star at Parramatta. The wing, I don't really think, is the best fit for him. Um, it's clear that he's a centre and he's a good centre. And when we saw Hayes Perham come off the bench, slot onto the wing and Will back into the centres, it worked, it clicked, and that combo was um, was quite good. So I'm looking forward to seeing that this weekend um, when we take on Newcastle. But I, I just think, yeah, we overplayed our hand, our combos were sort of out of whack, and lo- losing Junior Paulo um, was also a huge omission. And I think um, him not being on the field also gave us a sense of reality that when Junior's not there... 
it's a totally different ball game and we're a different side altogether. So quite a bit to take out of it. Disappointing, but I think we overplayed our hand too much. Now, I, I know that you've got your opinions about the impact that needs to be brought off the bench. And uh, with that injury crisis, we saw Murata Nukore playing his first game for the season, not coming off the bench as part of the middle rotation, but rather playing at centre. He played, performed quite strongly out at centre, but what about that loss of impact then off the bench? I mean, it's huge because you had Mitch Rain there, who was I, I think did okay at times, but he's not a big body. He's not a big bopper. So you lose Junior, and then you, you Murata's not in on that bench, or he's not in that middle forward pack. So you lose those two big bodies in terms of the impact. And then, you know, when you've got people coming on or when you've got Regan Campbell-Gillard coming off and Oregon Kafusi coming off, who are your big bodies on the field? So I think we really lacked. And Maddo's great, and, and I think, you know, he serves his purpose. But you don't have, I think, enough depth in terms of big barnstorming forwards, meter eaters that are going to really steer the team around the park. We saw last game against the Titans the impact of our front rowers and what they did and what they brought to the side and, and in that game were crucial. But I think you lost that last week. So our depth is proving to be a little bit of an issue. And I think, as you said, Murata played fantastically well. I, I like seeing him in the centres. I think he's a fantastic centre, but you lose that depth. So I think we've got a bit of a problem on our hands. Uh, Junior coming back into the fold this week will be a big help and a big in. But when you, you lose an RCG, I mean... He was he had a bit of a niggly injury. So if you have those two guys that go down, we're going to be in some real trouble this year. They're crucial to our side, and and our depth needs a, a bit of work. I think um, you know heading into the, the the next part of the season. Well, I suppose that's where it comes down to how we use the players that are there. Now we've lost, unfortunately, lost Murata, where he, he's come off his hamstrings being a bit tight. We don't know how long he's likely to be out for at this stage, um, but that impact that he's able to bring with you, if you take off someone like Reg or Junior and then you're replacing them with someone who carries the ball as powerfully as Murata Nukore does, that's that maintains the rage out there in the middle. I'm also a fan of what he can do out at the centre, but then I, I look at the balance of the team and I go, he's not a specialist centre. Mm. he's literally like one of those specialist bench impact players and plays that role superbly. Um, when he is, when he is fit and well, I, I think, I think the greatest concern now is our backline depth because we're having to juggle players around and out of position. And we're even at that stage where we're having to consider forwards playing out in the, in the, in the centre position, even if it's someone like Murata who can cover it well, mm. it's like robbing Peter to pay Paul. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and that, and that, as you said, that impact off the bench, it, it, it's, it, I mean, we win the games in the middle with the platform that's being laid in the middle. And we've already seen that with the minutes that, that Junior and Reg have had to play in their matches this year, where BA wants that impact being maintained through the middle. But that's, I think, primarily because he hasn't had a Murata Nukore to call on to, mm. to maintain the rage. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting time ahead, especially when you look at the fact that Reg came off with an injury in that match last week. He's been named this week. 
Geez, I'd like to think that he's made a recovery. Um, mm. it, it is always a risk. Like, uh, I think it's hard to read into team selections when you play on a Monday and then the then the team's required to name a team uh, or the coach is required to name a team by four o'clock the following day. Uh, I don't read too much into the team selections at that stage when you've got uh, players under under an injury cloud. Yeah, you haven't gotten your scans back from whatever, yeah. whatever checks you're doing. You're sort of just literally throwing out 24 names that you think might be able to come together to field a team. What are you guys hearing? Have you got any uh, sneaky predictions or do you have a bit of an inside word for us? Well, I, I'm a bit out of the loop. Um, I haven't been at Parramatta Train this week. I haven't been to any of the media sessions. Do you guys know anything maybe about uh, Reg and if he's going to be in there this week? I saw NRL Physio had some concern for... Uh, Reg about that ankle mm. um, and it also mentioned there was a couple other guys that this week I think Ryan Pappenhausen was another and then I, I can't forget the I can't remember the third sorry not can't forget uh, but yeah I, I don't know I imagine it has to be some consideration towards that ankle injury given that he really struggled in that second half he um he pulled himself off which you don't usually see big Reg do so given that it's a relatively short turnaround from Easter Monday to Sunday just six days I don't know maybe the Eels will be Taking a precautionary stance of Reg, and he's he's not the only person that had to be taken from the field. We also saw Tom Opechik removed from Correct. the field, and he was down on the ground for a significant period of time. And again, as Forty said, if there was any issue about having to go for scans, any sort of medical testing, that would not have been done by the time that uh, the team lists had to be provided for the NRL because. I think I think the team lists are provided, you know, around lunchtime or just Correct, after lunchtime. They, they come out officially at four o'clock, but they they go in a couple of hours before then. Mm, that's right. So anyway, I guess it's going to be a case of watch this space as we reach closer to the game and the and the squad for the game starts to get trimmed. Um, mm. We might get an early indication about what's happening there. I haven't been able to, uh, obviously, due to the circumstances that I've been in, I haven't been able to get out anywhere um, to, to get to training. It's um, it, it feels like an eternity since I've been uh, up at Kellyville watching the, the team go through their paces. So um, there's nothing really that I can offer in that regard. Um, just uh, another thing, too, from just to come out of that game, um, we seem to have a mi- miscommunication between Mitch Moses and um, and uh, Reed Marnie in icing that game with a field goal at, at the time where it looked like it needed to be taken. Um, w- what's your thoughts there? A little bit frustrating, guys, because it's now, in my opinion, three times this season that uh, Mitch Moses has failed to ice the game with a field goal. Now, we saw, obviously... Uh, in that Cronulla game, we lost that one tight. It was a tight ending, but we couldn't seal it with a, a field goal. The Melbourne game, although we won it, Mitch couldn't ice the field goal. And not only in the um, the extra time period, but also in the regular time period where they failed to take the shot at goal. Game management, with five minutes to go, they should have taken the field goal, secured the win, but then they let Melbourne back into that game. And then again on Easter Monday. So I think... I think we're seeing a lot of improvement from our halves. Dylan Brown, Mitchell Moses, they're taking on the line. I like the flair and the attacking style of football that they're bringing this year. However, we need to be able to ice close games because that's what counts come the end of the season when it comes to, you know, who finishes second and third or, you know, and just generally, like you want those wins from a mental point of view for the side. And 
if Mitch had been able to ice the field goal and, and that game management had been um, in place and something that we're really putting that emphasis and focus on, then we might have won the game against the Tigers in the end. But for another game this season, that's now our third one, that Mitch hasn't been able to ice it with a field goal, it's a little bit concerning for me. And maybe they need to put a little bit of an emphasis on at training on uh, how we're finishing and how we're ending games and field goals and these game management situations because it's it's a difference once again between a premiership winning team and a team that drops out um, in the prelim finals. Those those close games and, and how you finish and how you end is crucial. So I think we need to put a bit more of an emphasis on it at training because it'll come back to bite us on the bum again throughout the year, I'm sure, no doubt. It's... And, and that's obviously a case of uh, the players in those positions, in the spine positions, perhaps not being on the same page. John, Hmm. I just want to come to you for this because I was only able to watch the television coverage. First time I wasn't able to get to a a match outside of uh, COVID restrictions that, you know, had us locked out of games. Uh, So it's been the first time in a while I couldn't get out there. What were your observations of the way that they were progressing towards the post was there clear did it seem to be clear instructions from Moses about where he wanted the play to go to set up for a field goal is there were were players not on that same page with him were people not following his instructions or was, or was he not giving instructions well this is one of the cool things about talking about rugby league isn't it is that you have so many different views on the same scenarios and my initial takeaway coming out of that game was while Mitch obviously missed the the field goal and that was disappointing. Uh, that play before, he was screaming at Reed to go one more to the posts, and Reed sort of got the, picked up the ball, panicked, and then shoveled it to Moses on the fourth, which is an absolutely killer uh, thing for momentum and, and and setting up. And you saw Mitch have to scramble to the right, and then I think he might have sent Papali'i back to the posts, um, mm. and then he had to race to get back into position for the field goal, and then took it off balance. Uh, and I go back to that Melbourne game where we'd worked that entire set to take a, a chip shot field goal right in front and then Reed decides to play the left edge short side. So whatever reason it is, there's some breakdown of communication in our spine uh, in these big moments here and it's something they need to get on the level very quickly because like you said, Spiro Wolf, like fortunate enough to get away with it with, against Melbourne thanks to some <clears throat> Ray Stone Mc- um, heroics. But the game against the Tigers, as bad as we played in general, we should have still won that in that mm. little opportunity there. And now- 100%. Now, I'm just interested in what you're hearing with, on another topic too, his Spiro, because I've been putting together my Bumpers Up column and I'm referencing the rumours around Herbie Farnworth because I see negotiations and potential recruitment of Herbie Farnworth as a watershed moment for the Eels after they weren't able to uh, recruit Katoni Staggs last year. Uh, what are you hearing around the potential recruitment of Herbie Farnworth? From what I know, guys, it's firming. And and I think um, Britton Nakora as well, just on a side note, that one is close to done as well from what I'm hearing and, and the inside word that I've got through my sources within the game. But Herbie Farnworth, if he does sign with Parramatta, it's going to be a huge asset and, and a huge um, in, a bonus for our side. I think he's a crucial signing. He's versatile. He's definitely a star of the future. He's had a huge impact at the Broncos. And you just watch him. He's involved. You know, he's a very involved player. And I think he could bring a lot to the to the Eels. And as I said, from what I know, it's firming. 
Um, there are talks at the moment. It's not as close to done as Britain Nakora's deal. However, the, there are some, some intense negotiations between Herbie and the club at the moment. So watch this space. Keep an eye because um, I just have a feeling and, and from what I'm being told, it's edging closer. And it was disappointing we couldn't secure Stags. Broncos put a lot of money um, into securing him. That is one and of the great... they've obviously I, I, locked... I, I watched Katoni and I know that the money was big, but you see him and what he's doing in a Brisbane team that aren't doing a good job feeding him. And then you just wonder what could have been if he come here and we'd had Katoni yeah, on one yeah. side, Will Penasini on the other. Uh, so <laughs> what, what they're crazy. But I, t- I was actually I was actually out at Penrith last week, boys, for the um the Panthers Broncos game Friday night. Amazing atmosphere. And, and on a side note, real credit to the Panthers. They do such a good job um, of the atmosphere, the vibe out there. And I'm really looking forward to our clash against them in round nine. That'll be just one to remember. An amazing, amazing game that's coming up. Uh, mark that one down in the diary. So, yeah, so I was there at Penrith for last week's game and you just watch Stags and he's electric. He set up that first try and his impact and he's just such a, a versatile and dynamic player in just attack and defense. Ball of muscle. And, Jeez. And, um, and yeah, so I, I was really impressed with what I saw from him last week, but Herbie's great as well and huge wraps on him. Obviously, he's got the, the British uh, background and we may see him at the, at the World Cup this year for England, but let's hope he's in a blue and gold jersey come Season 2023, guys. I think that that, uh, Herbie's a player that both Sixers and I have discussed just randomly in the past as a player Mm. we both enjoy watching because he's a very classical center, uh, you know, sort of very good with the ball in hand, has a bit of utility too, can play fullback and even 5'8". So that would be a very good get for the club if they can manage to price him away from the Broncos and beat out the Dolphins uh, for his signature. Well, at 22 years of age as well, and... It's, it might seem silly to be uh, talking about this, but if you're if you're talking about options for succession plans to Clint Gutherson at mm. full, mm. Mm. I I think that he potentially fits the bill. You're talking about someone who's 190 centimeters tall, is 106 kg, and he's he's only uh, like 22 years of age. And has he's got around 50, just under fifty NRL games, and that's been played in a Broncos team, which I think we all can agree is has been extremely ordinary in those years where he's been up there playing first grade. He's been able to be one of the standouts in in that team. So, yeah, I think he's a I think he is a tremendous target for the Eels. And as mm. I said, I think it's a watershed moment for recruitment because we've missed out on some people that we've been interested in. And this is one of those moments where you shell out a bit of money to look to attract someone to the club. It's all very well to have promising pathways players coming through. And we do have some backline players who are promising pathways players. But you've got to find that balance of adding uh a class player here or there from elsewhere just to find that um, the strike power that you need mm-hmm. with a team and to, and to bring maybe that little bit of extra experience or the bit of a difference to the team. Um, so yeah, I, I, as I said, I think it's a, I think it's a watershed moment, but mate, there's also been plenty going on in the NRL. What What's happening out there, mate? Just on a side note as well, before we wrap up on Herbie, when you think about it, guys, 
we lost Janko at the end of it would have been the 2020 NRL season or 2019. I think end of the 2019 NRL season. Um, and we never re oh no, sorry, it would have been 2020. We never yeah. really replaced him. We never really replaced Michael Jennings. When you think about it, yes, we did sign Tom Opacek, great player, but he's not that marquee big name um, center that's really you know filling that void that that Jennings um, created. Someone so who, I think someone yeah, who makes something out of nothing is basically exactly what, right. Yeah. Exactly right. So I think Herbie's going to be a big in. In terms of the NRL, plenty of news, lots happening. Kalen Pong, I, I just want to weigh in on this one quickly. Finally, the saga's over and he's re-signed with the Knights, five-year deal. Just you in know, time to focus money. on football against Parramatta. Isn't that typical? <laughs> <laughs> it's just the way it is, right? He's going to come out and have an absolute blinder this week. And, you know, he happens to uh, come up against Parramatta. Um, but, yeah, finally the saga's done. But I just think the way that this is played out and... and his father being involved um, in the negotiations and, and obviously further details coming out with his discussions with Wayne Bennett about going to the Dolphins and how he handled that. I think it was pretty amateurish in my opinion. Even having him there at the press conference when they announced the deal, it was just unnecessary. Have you ever seen, or in the, the recent past, apart from the Clearies, right, they're an exception to the rule, but have you ever seen a father at a press conference yeah for his son signing a deal with an NRL club. Now, it wasn't a 10-year deal. It was a five-year deal, which is still huge. But, you know, it, I don't think it was justified. And I actually heard some some uh, comments from Ray Hadley, uh, my colleague at 2GB, uh, yesterday morning or the other morning, speaking about Jack Gibson and uh, his philosophy back in the day about mummy um, and daddy being involved in contract negotiations. And, and I can't, can't remember. I, I don't think that Ray actually referred to the player exactly, but... Jack's um, mentality back in the day was leave mummy and daddy at the office door. Don't involve them in the negotiations. Mm -hmm. And he's a smart man. He was a very, very smart man, Jack Gibson, and he's right. And I think that the, the Knights um, have probably done the wrong thing by having his dad there as a, as a welfare officer and being involved and whatnot. It's just out of place. It's pretty amateurish and bizarre for me. And they're so desperate to hold on to Pongo, who I think he's a good player, but he's not a... Match winner, you know, we haven't really seen him. Um, he hasn't transcended to the player or, that we, we people were putting him into that echelon, hasn't he? Like, he, like you said, he'll have incredible moments because he's very talented, but the consistency and the ability to take over games, the way that you see prime uh, James Desco or, or Dom Tobojevic do, it, he just hasn't gotten to that level. Not at all. And you know, you compare him to someone like Cleary. Cleary's a match winner, week in, week out, you know what you're going to get. Same with Teddy and Travojevic. So I don't know what you guys think of it. I, I'm pretty um, pretty shocked at the way that Newcastle dealt with it. When I saw Andre Ponga at the press conference the other day when they announced it, I was just gobsmacked, gobsmacked. Well, that's probably been a case where, um, well, look, let, let's face it. It's one of the toughest things for a parent is knowing when to step away. And I'm sure there's been many a career that in rugby league that has been adversely impacted by the wrong involvement there's, of, of there's parents. There's something about and, sports that causes parents to live vicariously through their kids, isn't there? And oh, I think yeah, that's just is, another instalment in that saga of Cowan Ponga where there is a reason why you generally go out and as much as player managers have a reputation for, you know, for, uh, negative at times, they are an important separation or buffer, I think, for players and clubs. 
in that regard. And you see that what happened with Cowan's dad and, and whatnot there, and it just gets real messy. One of the things um, that I've come to learn through uh, just finding out a, a little bit more about the trials and tribulations that young players go through is that there's the right sort of support that comes from parents, and you and you still see. Uh, plenty of elite sports people that talk about how important their parents were in them achieving the goals that they have. So there is an important role that parents play in being supportive and um, providing the right sort of encouragement and, uh, I suppose, realistic expectations of their uh, sons or daughters in their sporting careers. But, you know, there, there are... Plenty of tales I've heard about uh, particular players where the concern ex- that I've had expressed to me is, oh, mate, that you know that partic- this particular particular parent or that particular parent has has really impacted their um, their time at the club or or their career. It's yeah, it, it's a tricky thing, and let's hope for Kalen that it works well for him. It's hard to judge sometimes from the outside looking in. He might be quite happy with everything that his father has done. Maybe it's the supporters that aren't aren't happy with how it's played out. Maybe the club's not entirely happy. But I suppose if he's extended and that's the outcome that they've wanted, so be it. But And I know yeah. they've, they've tried to stress there's no hidden clauses or anything like that in there, but <laughs> I can't wait until two years down the road is going to be revealed there's some escalator or... Uh, some sort of uh, key man clause that'll let him start this whole thing again. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, what about this this talk about taking a, an NRL game to the the states, mate? Yeah, I love it. To be honest, guys, I, I um I really like the idea, and I think that it's important, especially with the wagering um agreement and legislation which has changed with the US, which now allows um Australian sports to be involved. It's something which. Peter Volandi's been pushing for and, and been eager to do, and that's now sort of signed, sealed, and delivered. So the green light, I think, will go ahead on taking a game to the US. Now that COVID settled down a little bit, it's the perfect opportunity, and I like the idea having guys like Russell Crowe and Hugh Jackman promoting it, two NRL rivals in a way, um, Manly and South age-old rivals, going head-to-head, round zero to open the competition. I just think there'll be so much more hype around the opening game, opening round. Although it won't be here and fans in Australia won't be able to attend the game live, I think having it over in the States is going to create huge hype around it. They're going to put plenty of money into advertising it and I hope it gets the return on investment. But I I like the idea. I think it's something which the NRL need to do and should explore. We saw England play New Zealand in Denver a couple of years ago in that uh, international fixture. And that worked pretty well. But let's just hope that it all pulls through and that we don't have any other COVID issues because it's important for the growth of the game overseas. And and I, I really like the idea. One of the interesting things about this period of COVID has been the attention that was drawn to the NRL, especially in, well, in, in a number of overseas countries, but especially in North America, where they didn't have the game that they could watch for extended periods of time. So they had uh, a lot of NRL content that was available for them. And I know that there was a number of North American supporters that the Eels picked up 
during that period of time. We made connections with them via social media and they just absolutely fell in love with the game. One, one of the fellows that um, that communicates with me via Instagram uh, just happens to be an American by the name of Brad Arthur. <laughs> oh, no way. <laughs> yes, so he was... He actually came across uh, Parramatta and the game uh, when a friend of his tagged him into one of my Instagram posts about Brad Arthur, the coach. So he was he was tagged into which, that. Then which which way I had looked- the um the contract emailed to the wrong email account? That was a Canadian, I think. That might have been a manly player. That happened a couple of years back, and it just it reminds me of those similar circumstances where you just had the crossover of the doppelganger names. Yeah, so so, but what's been interesting then is, is, is of course, he's then become um, quite fanatical in his support of the Eels, and um, in fact, he he was introduced to Parramatta when we were going through our awful run last year, and that didn't put him off in any way. He just fell in love with the game and the club. Said he didn't, you know, he quite enjoyed following the underdog club at the, at that stage as well, and. Um, He's he signed up as member. He's got he's got all the gear sent out to him. He's getting his son interested in the game. It's um yeah, it's a great story. I think it is a I think the NRL is a game that would appeal to the market over there. And you as you know, with, with it being such a big market, you only need a tiny slice of it to yeah. make the to make it worthwhile as a venture. So it'd uh, be interesting to see what what happens there. Um, closer to home, mate. Uh, we we touched on the impact of COVID. What about what's going on with the Bulldogs? Crazy stuff, guys. We saw Gus Gould post on uh, Wednesday morning, uh, shedding light on the fact that there were some positive cases and injuries and causing huge chaos out there at Belmore. Uh, the latest detail on that is that 19 players have tested negative. So at the moment, all good to go. But um, heard Gus speak on Channel 9 News on Wednesday night as well. And uh, indicated that they've got a plan in case, you know, another half a dozen players test positive. They've got five or six guys are flying up, putting in a separate um, part of the hotel, not mixing with the first grade guys just in case. But it just proves that COVID's around. I guess it was a blessing in disguise for Parramatta, touch wood, that um, a lot of our players tested positive over the summer. And at this stage, we've had none test positive in the regular season. So let's hope it stays that way. But COVID's around at the moment. You guys have both been affected by it. I know a few people that have been affected by it. And um, I think the main sentiment that I get from the NRL and from um, other media and from club representatives at the Bulldogs and other clubs is they don't want to be postponing games because they feel they've got an obligation to the broadcasters, to the fans, um, to make sure that these games do go ahead. And they're going to be doing everything within their power to make sure that everything goes smooth, goes to plan, and there are no postponements, cancellations uh, in season 2022. So the Bulldogs are working hard. They've got all these uh, young reserve grade guys coming into the side. They've had to push back their uh, knock-on effect cup game uh, to ensure that they have enough players to field a team against the Broncos. So very, very interesting. Chaos at the Bulldogs. Gus uh, knows what he's doing, very experienced, and I think he's dealt with this very, very well. And as I said, let's hope that no issues for Parramatta on the COVID front uh, this season. I think it's presenting the first insight as to how clubs will go about dealing with any outbreaks during the season at the club. There was always the suspicion that there was going to be issues that 
came about during this year. You mentioned how Parramatta had a lot of their COVID cases over summer. A lot of other clubs were in a similar position where their pre-season was bashed around by COVID, but basically it meant virtually every player contracted COVID during the uh, pre-season period. But this is the realities of conducting a professional competition when something as infectious as COVID is still around and out out and about in the community. There is that honeymoon period where you have a, a bit of natural immunity, but with so many variants of COVID that's out there that even with uh, boosters and even with people contracting COVID, that people are getting it for a second time. So, um, you know, whether it, at, at what stage it starts to get to the point where people you know, have reduced periods of, um, of of quarantine, whether we get to the stage where it's just treated like a cold or or normal flu remains to be seen. But um, yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't wish it upon anyone having seen the impacts in the, in the family here. So, um, uh, yeah, interesting times, mate. And it will be, it will be interesting to see if they do have to call on those players that they fly up there as extras and um, maybe if it all works for them, and I don't necessarily mean about them securing a victory because I think the odds are, are stacked against them to be able to do that. But if they happen to secure a victory or perform well and everything flows smoothly in terms of their arrangements, maybe they provide the model that other clubs might look at to follow themselves when, uh, when they're struck in a similar situation. Correct, correct. It, it, it's a good framework, and I think that, as I said, the way Gus has handled it has been quite impressive, and it may lay the groundwork for what other clubs sets a bit of a precedent going forward. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes, and, yeah, uh, very, very uh, interesting times. Well, mate, you've provided another comprehensive round of uh, looking into what's happening at the Eels and at the NRL in general. Uh, looking forward to this weekend's round of matches and then catching up with you next week for your takes once again. Fantastic, guys. Uh, go Para. They've got to bounce back this week. A really important game Sunday afternoon at Newcastle. It'll be an uphill battle. I think it'll be a close one, but Para to get home in a tight one and hopefully our season uh, is back on track, guys. So enjoy the footy and go Para. Thanks, Spiro. Thanks, Spiro. Catch you next week, mate. Thanks, guys. And we've got to keep on rowing, mate, because there is plenty to get through. Got another guest featured this week. He did a fantastic story, a fantastic para story uh, on the Greystains Devils. So I'm going to let you introduce our guest this week in regards to the para stories, mate. Our Parramatta Stories feature has taken us on a terrific journey as we've learned more about the wonderful clubs that participate in the Parramatta Junior Rugby League competition. This week promises to be no different as we talk to a club that's dynamic when it comes to engaging with its community. That club is the Greystains Devils, and we're joined by President Craig McLaren and Vice President Clay Ross. Gentlemen, welcome to the tip sheet. Yeah, thanks, guys. It's great to be here. We follow this podcast, and we're pretty excited that we're a part of it. So thanks. Yeah, thanks. Great to have you on. Um, so let's start at the beginning. Can you share a little bit about the origin and history of the Devils? Yeah, I'll, I'll, go, I'll take that, Craig. Um, it was back in 1978. There was a group of nine local dads, uh, my old man being one of them, one of those members, Greg McLaren, uh, they formed a committee. They gave it. They gave it in an attempt to create a local rugby league club in Greystones. There was a Greystones rugby union club across the canal, but as all the committees were leagueies, they wanted to start a rugby league club in the area. So they applied the 
Para District Rugby League Club and Para Grand Admiral Entry in 1979. Uh, yeah, the 1979 competition there. But first, they needed a mascot and colours. So with the voting for the logo mascot, there were two options that came up. Uh, one was the Graceland Greyhounds and the other was the Graceland Devils. So obviously the Devil won, uh, but only one by one vote, five votes to four. Um, yeah, so so we're very – so obviously we're very close to be called the Graceland Greyhounds. Also, yeah, well, um, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure how that would have sounded. I, I, I'm sort of glad that you went with the Devils. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't know, I don't know, yeah. The devil sounds heaps cooler anyway. Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, Paraliga gave us a list of colours available. Uh, there wasn't much to choose from in those days. As the old jerseys, you know, there wasn't much colours that there is these days. Uh, but most of the colours were taken, so the only colours were left and was green and white. Green and white stripes, uh, that, you know, that's how simple it was, us getting those colours. Um, and also because our devil, the devil's red, we used a, like a red number and a red devil in them. So that's where a the little bit of red come from as well. Um yeah, anyway, as I said earlier, we ended in the Paracombe in 1979. In our normal season, we only footed three teams. Um, the under-8s were one of them. And my brother Brett was in that team. My old man coached that team too. In the very first year, they won the comp. So, yeah, pretty good effort from just a bunch of schoolmates all thrown together to win the comp in the first year. So, anyway, um, the club grew more and more every year as Grey Saints era is turning from chicken farms into a thriving suburb with a heap of new uh, homes being built in the late 70s and 80s. With that brought a heap of young families and lots of kids. Also, Greystone started to build a lot of naval defence housing, which brought a lot of Navy families from all over the country. So Greystone was booming with an influx of young families and kids. So due to that happening, the Devils Club just boomed and began to go from strength to strength. Uh, we were very strong in the 80s. Most of our teams were in first division. And we're not only matching it with the big clubs like Wayne Hills, we are constant, consistently leading them. We had some very good teams and also some very good players, a few of which went on to play NRL level. Uh, we had Liam Fulton for the Tigers, uh, Ryan Morgan, uh, Stephen Crouch, he played for Parham the Tigers, uh, Brett Cook, South Legend, um, and Timmy Robinson, just to name a few. Um, a couple of players who are re- relevant today, who everyone knows about, Jai Arrow. Uh, his old man is a legend of our club, Roman Arrow. He played A-grade for the Devils, winning a couple of comps, and he's, he's very involved in the club for many years. Another player who's killing it at the moment is Nico Hines. His dad, Mick Wilson, and uncles all played for the Devils. And Nico's uh, great. His grandfather, Don Wilson, is actually a life member of our club. So over the last 43 years, we started with three teams, gone up to as much as 25 and back down to as little as five teams. Um, see, we've never been a big club, uh, probably never will, but it's a great family club and that's why everyone uh, loves being involved in it. No, it's uh, always cool to see those NRL connections from the uh, grassroots clubs going right through to the top flight competition. And Nico's one of the real success stories for the NRL in recent years, so very cool to see that. Tied to the Greystain Devils boys, you mentioned. Yeah, the, sorry. sorry. You, no, you, you you go. It's fine. Yeah, even um, come down to our presentation last year and hand out the trophy. So it was good to have him down. He's a family connection. The kids loved it. It was, it was awesome. Yeah, man, that that just completely makes the year for those kids, doesn't it? Having a, a you know an actual factual first grader coming in, a guy that's on TV and you know presenting, whether it's an award or jerseys, it makes a huge difference to their year. Yeah, sure did. You mentioned there's been um, some variance in the teams you've fielded across the years. As we get back to something that's close to normalcy uh, post-COVID or living with COVID, how many teams will we be looking to field in uh, 2022? Uh, there you go. I'll go, I'll go. Um, it's, we're looking at uh, a couple of six and under sevens teams, uh, a couple of under eights, an under nines, an under tens, 11, 12s. We've just got, got an under 12 girls team. Still need a few more if anyone's out there. Um, we have two very strong under 13 teams. Uh, the under-14s, who I coach, I mean, I'm great Lucas plays for. 
and we've also Clay's got his Clay's got his team, the under fourteen girls team. His daughter plays in that Talia. Um, our oldest team this year is the under fifteens. We don't have anyone apart from that, apart from our old fogey blokes, the Masters team. <laughs> <laughs> our over thirty five team, and yeah, they've built a very strong team since uh, twenty sixteen. So uh, looking at that, I think it's about fifteen teams. So similar to most years. So that that does that mean you're expecting the the 2022 registrations just in terms of numbers to be fairly similar to the pre-COVID numbers? Um, well, I want, you know what, I hope so, but I, I doubt it. I think there'll be still a bit of a hangover from the last couple of years, with the, you know, also with the highly daily COVID numbers still. Um, people are still worried about getting out and about, and now with all this rain, that doesn't help at all. But Yeah, the rain's been brutal. Once, oh, no. But I reckon once the season gets underway, the kids... They aren't involved to see their friends at school chatting about you know the footy game they played they played in the weekend or watching NRL or even now the W NRLW. So hopefully yeah, some of those kids might start to get their itch back and reckon there'll be a late influx before the June thirty deadline. So hopefully that's that's what I reckon. Well, speaking about NRLW itch, we're seeing an explosive growth in the participation rates of young ladies in the game. Can you talk to us about the importance the Devils have placed on girls rugby league within the club itself? Yeah, we're it's Clay. Um, we're Hi, we're very big on getting girls to our club. Uh, my daughter has been playing since she was five and she came to the age where she can't play anymore. So we had to do something about that because I had to coach a team and I wanted her to keep playing. So we, she got all the mates together, just netballers and soccer players and stuff like that. Um, and we formed a team last year. We had no one to play against, so they had to play against the boys. So we had a whole girls team playing against boys and they held their own and girls, other girls have heard what we did last year and we've probably got another 10, 15 girls come to our club this year. So we're going good. We've nearly got two teams up and running, so a 12s and a 14s. So, yeah, it's really good. That's no, good work. And, and you just, Sorry, just to so, add to that, yeah, as, as president, we, it's, we, you know, we put a massive priority on, on getting a girls teams. Um, Yes, watching last year, everyone was at their games. They were our favourite team to watch. They had the bigger numbers. Um, and now with the WNRL, as we said, yeah, mate, we just, we're just doing our best to get all the girls down there, every team, as much as we can. Everyone loves it, the look, girls. Love it. It's great to see the pathways emerging with the Girls Rugby League because we've seen uh, with uh, Parramatta with the having the, the team in the Tasha Gale competition and they're they're doing extremely well this year uh, featuring in uh second place at the moment on the table there in the Tasha Gale and of course you've now got the WNRL uh, team as well and the and the clubs looking at um at having their talent squads for uh the girls so there's a genuine pathway once they they're playing in under 14s and 16s competitions you it's almost like a, a mirroring that they're trying to create where you you're going through a uh, junior pathway system. You've got the um, development squads. You've got, uh, as I said, those those competitions, and the girls can see, hey, from under twelves onwards, here's my pathway. I've got my club competition. I've got development squads. I've got a junior rep team. I've got the New South Wales Women's Rugby League competition. I've got NRLW. They can see that path to being one of those NRLW players on the television. Yeah, that's right. There's I think there's six teams um, in the under 16, under 14 for this year. So I think they only had two last year in the Parramatta comp. 
this year we're going to have six. So that's so you can see it's growing. Mm-hmm. That's a good good pathway. So they pick a para team out of that development team. That's awesome. That para are taking those steps now. Our fellas are having a look at uh, the history of the club. I noticed that a couple of years back the Devils won the New South Wales Rugby League Award for Grassroots Club of the Year. Oh, that that's actually quite an amazing achievement. Quite an honour. What did winning that award mean for the Greystains Devils? Yeah, as you said, it was massive. It was a massive honour and a massive achievement for us. Uh, it, it's just a tribute uh, to all involved with the Greystains Devils. It was great for our little battler club to receive this recognition in the wider, you know, New South Wales rugby league community. Um, I think it's an acknowledgement of all the hard work put in by all the players, dedicated volunteers, mums and dads, and sponsors. It, show, it shows them all the hard work's not for nothing, and it proves that we're doing a good job for our kids and our community. And it also put Greystains on the map a bit, I reckon. And yeah, it just makes us feel proud to be part of the Greystains area, I mean, to, to see that camaraderie, all you need to take is a quick look at the club's Facebook account and the importance of the connection to family and community where it's emphasised so strongly. The feedback from your community similarly praises that environment, that family environment environment that the club's created. Who makes up that community in the Greystains Devils? Yeah, right. So from as long as I can remember, the Greystains Devils have been not only known in the Para District, but the whole of New South Wales League as a family club. Uh, we're just a little battle club made up of locals. All the kids go to school together, be Bradford Road, Grey St. Public School, Ring Road Public, Widemere, Grey St. Side, Forward High St. Paul's. All the kids hang out after school together, all dressed in the devil's gear down at what the kids call Devil's Field, which is 800 Grand Allen Street Park. That's the meeting point, you know, that's where they all play. They kick a ball around, have a chat, ride their bikes and just hang out, you know, not even with their teammates, the kids of all ages. You know, they hang out and play together. They, all the kids know each other's names from the under sixes to the 15 year olds. The older kids look after the younger ones. And it's really a big family. The mum and dads all know each other. They see each other at school pickups, you know, at the shops, training and games. A lot of the kids stay after their game and watch their mates. You know, a lot, a lot of them stay for the whole day and cheer on, you know, the other older team. So everyone helps. They set up, pack up the fields. You know, they they they, they all show up, all the kids show up to the Masters game as well and be all the water boys. We have 10, 20, 30 kids, you know, devil's kids running it at every break to, you That's know, awesome. run the water. Yeah, running on the field, it's it is. It's good to see. It's a sight to see. Yeah. Um, you know, we've had we've got players now that their dads played at the club. You know, like the Stevens family, the Days, the Albrechts, Eisenbergs, McLarens. Just to name a few. You know, so it's it's been a family club since it started. You know, seventy nine. Then, yeah, hopefully, it stays like that forever. Yeah. So it's it's right in the DNA of the club, isn't it? The fact that it's yeah. just family uh, from start to top. That's it. We're just all locals, just all mates hanging out, kicking around, kicking the footy around, having. Having fun. But just and just on on that, one of the things that we've learnt in talking to the community clubs is what the alternative would be. Like if the if a, the junior rugby league clubs didn't exist, what a, a a terrible loss of connections within the community would would occur. You know, it's just it brings people together, doesn't it? A, a local junior rugby league club. 100%, especially our little community in Greystains. Um, yeah, everyone's on board. Everyone, you know, they love their devil's devil's clothes and devil's gear. And yeah, we just we all hang out together. We're all a big family, all best mates at school, out of school. So it's, yeah, it doesn't, it, it's good for the community. And of course, that then really leads us into the next thing that we wanted to talk about, which is that all rugby league clubs rely on volunteers. How special are yours? 
Yeah, bloody, bloody special. Um, you know, all, all of our volunteers are just mums and dads, as I said before, just having a go, doing their best, you know, to make make the club the best for our, all the kids that play it, you know. The secretary, like all, you know, junior clubs, it's a full-time job. Mm-hmm. You know, it's Liz's first year and she's, she's all over it. Um, you know, our vice president plays here with me now. He, you know, he loves the devils and does everything he can, anything and everything for the club. Tracy and the canteen mums keep up there Saturday every week from dawn to dusk to get everyone fed. You know, all the dads are on the barbecues. You know, the dads are groundsmen and their kids are just in there from, you know, Sparrows every Sunday morning from Sparrows in the goalpost. You know, managers' tables getting the fields ready for the minis to battle on, you know. All, all the, so, well, yeah, everyone in the club, all the coaches, managers, trainers, they're just mums and dads, as I said before, doing their best. Uh, all the committee are fantastic, you know. Um, our very own living legend, the, the Colonel, Carl Albrecht. You know, he's been in the club for over 20 years and he still turns up to training every Tuesday, Thursday. He's our, he's our level two, you know, first aid. He sits on the bench every Saturday, tending to all the injured players. His expertise is priceless. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, our volunteers are what makes the club go around and I reckon why it makes our club so great. No, it is always really cool to hear the stories of, of the people that, you know, give up so much time. And obviously, you know, you two included, that's, you know, being, being president, vice president, that, that is literally the definition of being the, a volunteer there for the club. But always very cool to hear the individuals that make up a fantastic junior club like that. Going, yeah. going back to just before COVID times, it seemed like the Devil's Calendar each year was full of special events, from camps to charity fundraisers and special nights. It, it goes back to that family uh, sort of DNA that we're talking about, but your community engagement levels were fantastic. You must be looking forward to getting back to a, a space where you can start filling that calendar again with all those wonderful events. Yeah, absolutely. We can't wait to... Get them those, you know, get those put on again. Uh, we love it, you know. The Devils community love it. You know, every year we do we do fundraisers. You know, a couple of years ago we've done a few comedy nights, and no, it felt hilarious. You know, during a different time, make it, you know, make a bit of cash on the way. Uh, I think this year we're doing a trivia night, which is awesome. But our, our big one we do every year is our annual charity day. You know, we pick a charity that's um, particularly close to someone at the club to try and help them out. You know, we might have a special jersey just for that day. We have rides, stalls, basketball competitions. Dunk the coaches is a big one, you know. Your, your coach sits in the dunk, sits in the dunk team. <laughs> you, you, you pay a couple of bucks and you know, throw the balls at the target, dump in the freezing water. It's usually in the middle of winter with that, you know. So yep, yep. <laughs> you got to throw. You must throw some ice in there too, just to make it yeah, even more attractive to dunk. Yeah, hundred percent. We do. I don't know this year because I'm coaching, so maybe not this year. But yeah, the main reason of that day is just you raise as much, you know, money as we can for that charity. So in previous years, you know, we've raised money for prostate cancer, brain cancer, headspace, uh, budgery mania, and last year we raised money for metrochondrial disease. You know, we had a little Marcus, who's a brother of Aiden Dowland, who plays in the mighty under-12s team. Uh, he and his family have been doing it tough since he was born four years ago. And uh, with, with collaboration with his family, we made a Hulk superhero jersey you know, that he loves. And, you know, all the, all the players would wear it on that day in the charity. You know, unfortunately, COVID struck and we didn't get to do it, but... I'm sure we'll continue that that on this year at our big charity day. And also a big one we've done in 2019, we held an Indigenous charity day. You know, that raised money for Badri Mandra, as I said before. Mm-hmm. That's an Indigenous service that looks after Aboriginal women and children. Um, that day was massive. We had Aboriginal dancers, we had didgeridoos, singers. We had the Aboriginal flag painted on the field. And we acknowledged all the Indigenous players at our great club. You know, we had we had also Indigenous jerseys made up for all the players. And on those jerseys, it told a story about, you know, Indigenous history of great Stain. Yeah, we've also got a devil's camp that we do every year, at the end of the year. We've been doing it since 2015, where we usually get about 120 dads and um, kids 
come along. Um, it's probably the highlight of the year for a lot of people. Last year, we didn't think we were going to do it because it was torrential rains, but we still had about 80 show up, even though it was raining, mud, um, camping. It was just really, really good, really good thing to say. And it's sort of bonds and glues the club together when we have those camps. Yeah, we also, we also, yeah, yeah, they're awesome. We also finish off the year with our, you know, Devil's Fridge to Fridge Christmas bike ride. That's yeah, all the all the families meet, have a Christmas party. We, we ride our bikes. There's probably about 120, 150 bikes riding around Graceland's going from house to house, having you know, um, playing games and having a swim, uh, having having a feed and a couple of drinks. And it's really that's a really big day to finish off the year for Christmas. So as as I said before, it's, it's a massive year for us, but we wouldn't have it any other way. Well, fellas, it's I mean that really exemplifies that community engagement and the importance of the club within the community. And as, as I said before, I, I'd hate to imagine um, what life would be like without junior rugby league clubs out there providing those sorts of connections between people. Uh, but, of course, there is the cost that comes with running a club and there's been the COVID challenge of the last couple of years and that brought on extra logistical challenges and financial challenges, but those financial challenges exist year upon year. How do the Devils meet such challenges? Yeah, well, it is tough. Um, obviously, sponsors, but first and foremost, the grant from Parramatta Leagues, is, you know, helps us a great deal every year. And without that, it would be really tough, along, along with our sponsors. Um, yeah, the last couple of years, you know, it's been pretty scarce. I haven't been able to pay because... Of COVID, they've been doing it tough themselves because they they're just little businesses themselves. So it has been tough, a little bit of pressure on us, but you know we get through it. And we've got heaps of sponsors this year. You know our major sponsor, who's been with us for a couple of decades, is you know, Darren Stevens from DDP Electrical. Is massive. Um, you know he played here when he, you know, he was younger. His kids played here, he coached here, he managed here. He's, he's, he's he plays masters now, and he's a life member. You know, um, you know other. Big sponsors we've had is IGA, you know, in the past. Technique Plumbing, Graceland Hotel, Bathurst Snickers has been a great supporter of us for a few years. Yeah, you know, without their sponsors, we couldn't afford the kids' stuff. You know, we, we try to give them a jersey, playing shorts, playing socks, training shirt, training shorts and polo, you know, every year. Uh, also, the sponsors and pay for the presentation day. You know, they, they can get a trophy, so it gives every kid a trophy. And also the, um, the canine, canine massive for us too. Uh, Makes a bit of cash for us, mm-hmm. so and it's all it's easily the best canteen in the district too. Mm-hmm. So what's the yeah. uh, what's the best item on the canteen menu, Matt? I like the chip roll with gravy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I tell you what, if that now that that's out there, there's a, a few fellas that uh, the Cumberland Throw knows who who don't mind their their chips and chip rolls that um, <laughs> they might just be heading down there just to hit the canteen. Oh, what a what a the bacon yeah. and chip roll is the best one. <laughs> Even even better. That sounds absolutely divine. Now, I'm going to ask you a question that I think I already know the answer to, but that's a good thing. But uh, what do you think the Devils should be the most proud about when it comes to the club? Yeah, um, I think it's probably a mixture of everything we spoke about today. The history, the family, obviously, aspects, uh, the volunteers, the players, all the festivities throughout the year, you know, getting Para Club of the Year, New South Wales Club of the Year, you know, us being a family club, we, we battle on year in, year out, you know, having fun, creating great atmosphere for our kids to play rugby league. You know, but probably for me, um, seeing all the kids, you know, they live in their devil's gear. 
you see them at the shops in their devil's gear, mm-hmm. riding the street with their mates in their, in their devil's gear. You know, even married to school on muffy days. So, yes, seeing all the kids up and love the devils is what the devils club should be proudest about, I reckon. That's a very, very good response. And, you know, just reflecting back on what you've shared with us in terms of all the events you do and, and just the, the, the kit bag that you try and put together, uh, going back to when I was playing junior rugby union back way back, you know, uh, in, in mid-north coast. The 1950s, wasn't it? <laughs> not, not quite that, that far back. But, you know, and I think about how much fun I had just playing with that club and, and how little they did compared to what the Devils do. It must be so so much fun to be a young kid to be part of the Devils as well. So you guys are doing a fantastic job out there. Yeah, awesome. We try our best, and they they love it. So it makes it all worthwhile. So if we've got anyone out there who'd like to get involved with the Greystones Devils, now that could be playing, it could be coaching, sponsoring, or just helping out in some way. What's the best way that they can get in touch? Yeah, probably contact our awesome secretary Liz Elizabeth Peel. Um, I'll give you a phone number: zero four three four. 530-808 or if you prefer email address you could do graystainsdevils at outlook.com um, yeah if you just go through those channels she'll sort it she's awesome and um, we're always looking for more coaches volunteers players girls so yeah, if you if you're looking for someone come to the devils you, you, you'll, you'll have a great great time and uh, you've got a fantastic Facebook page too I see uh, facebook.com forward slash graystainsdevils which contains both those uh, mobile and uh email details as well as as well as just a, a peek into what you know the sort of calendar looks like for the devils and all the stuff that you get up to and, yeah, and also true. a good instagram account too i, I must mention that because i do follow the gray stains devils instagram account so um got to got to include that too 40 <laughs> that's it got to, that's the uh, the era we live in now for all the social stuff isn't it you got to make sure you got your, your instagram your facebook your twitter your your tiktok as well but it, it is good to see the gray stains being very active because that that is part of the engagement with the young generation now is making sure that you're on those uh, different platforms and gray stains doing a fantastic job of it yeah that's right 100% all right, boys. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to us about the wonderful history of the Greystain Devils and all those incredible community and family aspects that you uh, really accentuate uh, at your club. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you about everything involving Greystains. And like I said, if we can point just a few people towards your way uh, when it comes to volunteering and helping out, it'll make, a, it'll make us very happy because you guys are obviously doing a very, uh, very good thing out there. Yeah, thanks, yeah, thanks, guys. Guys. thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity today. Just thanks for thinking of us at our little club. And, um, yeah, your, your show is awesome. So, thanks, thanks. <laughs> thanks, boys. You keep well. <laughs> thanks, fellas. <laughs> and again, my thanks to Craig and Clay there from the Greystains Devils for that wonderful conversation. We've got to keep on moving, mate. And that means it's time. News team, assemble! We kick off this week's news with a little bit of bad news, mate. We already spoke about it with Spiro, but the injury boys just keep on coming for the Parramatta Eels. One game back in from a calf strain, and, and initially that suspension from last year, then a calf strain at training. Murata Niokore comes in, has a cracker of a game against the West Tigers, and pulls up with a tight hammy, and he is now out indefinitely. As the and That indefinitely, I imagine, will be precautionary as the club tries to ascertain the severity of the injury based on those scans that went out on Tuesday but didn't come back before the team list was announced. Yeah, and I think people sometimes underestimate the uh, impact that Murata Nukore 
brings to the team. We spoke with Spiro a little bit about this, where uh, people are very happy for him to be playing centre, and he does such a good job when he is required as a centre. But that capacity to keep the the rage rolling, keep the anger out there when we get the first interchange happening when Reg or Junior is spelled, he's a big part of that. And that's a, that's a massive out because our, uh, even with respect to the, the fellas that are out there on our bench, Murata is an important inclusion every week on that bench. Yeah, it's going to be hopefully a short-term loss because if he's out for any number of weeks, that's a big, big blow to our full-strength rotation. Uh, and yeah, it means that we've got, again, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven players in the injury ward in terms of the top three. That's not counting someone like Ofahiki Ogden, who was in sensational touch in the New South Wales Cup prior to busting his shoulder against the Dragons a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, we're in the wars, mate, and there's not much the coaches and the, the training staff can do because none of this is really soft tissue stuff uh, for the most part. Obviously, uh, Nick Corey's has a little bit to do with that, but that's also a function of him being out for so long that calf injury, a lot of these are just injuries you cannot prepare for. That's right. So we we are looking for a bit of a break when you're talking about long-term injuries. It's just, it, it feels like to get through a match unscathed is a miracle in any week. Mm-hmm. And now moving on to some good news, and we already spoke about it with Spiro again, but Eels linked to Herbie Farnworth in the media recently play that we both have a lot of time for, 60s. We've spoken about him on and off the record when it comes to TCT. Real big fan of his before he was even tied to us in any official capacity. Just a classy centre, good pace, good power, uh, runs the ball so well, and he's got that positional versatility that might let him blossom into a star uh, not too long down the track. Well, when we were speaking with Spiro just uh, earlier in the podcast, I mentioned about his dimensions, the 190 centimetres, 106 kgs. He's that prototypical Mm -hmm. modern game NRL outside back, isn't he, in terms of of those physical qualities? Yes, sir. And now we have a real big news this week. Obviously, we go back to, very rare, but back-to-back public holiday long weekends, going from the Easter Monday public holiday to Anzac Day. Um, Eels will be wearing a uh, Anzac jersey. I know it's caused uh, drawn a bit of criticism, but it turns out that there's a, a bit of backstory there in terms of uh, away colours and whatnot. But yeah, always good to celebrate Anzac Day, and we'll be taking on the Newcastle Knights on Sunday doing so. Yeah, look, there were there has been uh, it's interesting using this term, but there's been the flack around about the the jersey. Uh, really, the jersey was leaked before the Eels media was able to put out the background behind the design, which has a has a lot to do about the the bush gum trees that are found around the uh, riverbank of the Parramatta River, so that camouflage design was based on on the uh, the patterns on the trees around the Parramatta River. Um, but look, I guess it's going to be hard to produce a camouflage design with eels colours where we have to primarily play in the yellow away jersey. So And taking on a team that also has a primary blue on their strip this year meant that there That's, was little leeway to leverage the, the digital blue camos. 
but and also the other thing too, obviously the Eels have set the bar really high for their Anzac designs in past years. They've had some absolute bangers. So this one sort of just comes down a little bit, and that, that's okay. So yeah, it's look. There's the there is the the message, the story behind the jersey design itself. There's the um, the what the weekend symbolises anyway. The, or you know, in running into the Anzac Day public holiday on the Monday. So you've you've got. I, I'm always almost always get my back up where there is criticism about a jersey design that's around Anzac Day. I think unless there was some reason that it was disrespecting Anzacs, I, I you know, I don't like to see um, too much criticism around a, a jersey that has the heart of, uh, you know, the message about the Anzac Day or, or, the, or the connection to the local area around Anzac Day. So and anyway, we move on. It's um, the the last uh, good thing about the jersey is that all proceeds from sales for said Anzac jersey will be going to Invictus Australia. Obviously, a fantastic cause uh, when it comes to uh, the uh, post military stuff. I think, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, as I said, the important thing is the cause, the message, that sort of thing. So, um, and I'm sure that the club themselves will take feedback from supporters about what they they did and didn't like about the jersey. And as I said, we move on. It's a, a special event jersey after all, um, and we move on from there. Last bit of news this week. Uh, a few Eels found their way into the extended New South Wales Sky Blues squad for the uh, Ladies' State of Origin later this year. A couple of our... Established vets and stars there. Samima Talfa, no doubt there, one of the talismanic figures for our team. Uh, Centre Tiana Penatani, who finished the season in fantastic touch. And the one that really caught the eye here, who I thought came on in leaps and bounds this year, young Philomena Hanisi, 60s, who just went from strength to strength as the season wore on. Yeah, good to see local girl, Guildford West girl, that is able to extend the... Um, I suppose the the achievements in her career. I think she has been around the uh, New South Wales squad in the past, um, but it's good to see her uh, be recognised this season, especially when it's been an expanded uh, NRLW competition that she's recognised as one of the um, elite and up and coming players in the game. Yes, sir. And that wraps up the news for this week on the twenty first of April. Let's get into the previews, mate, because we've got some real big stuff to talk about. And, um, you know, it almost could have been part of the news section, to be honest, but we'll give them just their dues in the previews. Eels breaking huge ground here uh, in the female space of their first postseason football in, at any level when it comes to pathways or NRLW. Uh, the second place Eels getting that week off in the uh, first week of the finals due to their fantastic regular season. They're taking on the Newcastle Knights this week in the Tasha Gale out at Nostrada Jubilee Stadium, 5 o'clock p.m. kickoff on Saturday. And it's actually an all-top four a fair in the uh, grand final qualifiers, mate. 1v4, 2v3, Roosters v Tigers, Eels v Knights. And thank, I, and thankfully for the Eels, they, they're looking real, real good in the team sheet. At fullback, we've got Debbie Dewey, Tamira Liardi and Alicia Bell, who, you know, we've said it before, but she might just be the best goal kicker at any level when it comes to the female space. In the centres, Jacinta Tui and Patessa Leo. In the halves, that outstanding combination of Talara Bamboot and Rosemary Beckett. Then we've got the front row, Trio of Petalina Otoa, Captain Ruby John Kennard, and dummy half Ashley Pottinger. 
In the back row, Tuisha Maeva, Kayana Lakeni, and Summer Tarare. On the bench, Casey Q, Melo Nukuo, Akuala Lala, Catalina Vave, and I believe the uh, the last player is Amina Kanj, but they've got 14, 15, and 17 listed, and there's no 16, so I'm not sure if that's a function of New South Wales Rugby League being incorrect there. I, uh, I'm going to suspect that it is because the 16 is missing for both teams. Yeah, so let's, let's go for Mina Khan, just the final player on the bench with Emily Waters and Leilani Tua also in consideration as reserves. Uh, but yeah, they're taking on the Newcastle Knights and I don't know, did these two teams um, meet or was it washed out? I've, I've got a feeling that might have been a washout game. Give me two secs to go back through for the Parramatta Reels. And yes, that was the washout game. There you go. So... Uh, very interesting. So these two teams don't really have the measure of each other. We know that our girls have been incredible this year. Uh, just the only game they dropped was against the top-seeded team, the Indigenous Roosters Academy, and even then they gave them a hell of a run, 22-10 to 10, in week one of the regulation season. I mean, th- this is a game I am so pumped up for, so excited for the girls, so excited for the club. This is a, a big moment in the club's history. I think there is... Barely, uh, well, I won't say there's barely a struck match, but I think that the top three teams are well and truly above, and this is with respect to the West Tigers team, but the top three teams are, uh, you know... Look at the differential. Plus, yeah, plus 160, yeah, plus 122, yeah. plus 152. Um, yeah. So the, the, the Newcastle Knights have a better differential than the Eels, and the Eels finished second... And as as John just said, the Eels team is a class team, and and had and gave the Roosters their toughest encounter of the year, and that was in round one. And it, it's probably I can say that the Eels hadn't really found their rhythm. It's probably going to be fair to say that the Roosters hadn't found their rhythm mm-hmm. yet either. But there were opportunities that were there for the Eels to push the Roosters even further in that round one encounter. And mate, you. Uh, you had uh, from from memory. You had that this was the week when you were struck with COVID that you weren't able to get out to see the um, the Eels and the Raiders in the final round of the Tasha yes, Gale correct. competition. But uh, Parramatta put the cleaners through the Raiders, fifty two to nil in that particular match, and um, it was something to behold. That was a record score in the Tasha Gale competition for the Eels. Eels had never racked up those sort of points before. They they had a couple of rough results going against them last year with some uh, big scores being put on them. But that that 52 to nil, it was a complete demolition. And the, the Eels forwards just gave the Raiders no space whatsoever. They were, they had a marching backwards from the opening whistle uh, in, you know, it, the Raiders probably did well to limit it to 52 points. So it wouldn't have surprised me if they had have gone past the 60 and approached 70 points. Such was the, the manner in which they were cutting through the Raiders. And um, the Eels are blessed with a very powerful pack of forwards. And the halves have done a tremendous job this year at um, being able to play off the back of the platform that the forwards have laid down. And we must we we must say that the the eels centres have been real weapons 
when they've this, got this is a team the, that's so well uh, balanced. Like you just go across different facets of it, and you'll just say, "Well, the centers were dynamic. The back row was just uh, tireless. The, you mentioned the halves; they're so classy. The front row was powerful. So you know, a lot of credit goes, and we, we've we've sung the praises of these young ladies throughout the entire season because they've been so fun to watch. But also, I want to give a shout out to the coach Ryan Walker, who went from like you said last year, sixties, where things were tough. You know, the the Eels were clearly a step behind some of the other teams in the Tasha Gale, and he's facilitated a, a development and also, you know, obviously the recruitment too. You'd look at girls like uh, Rosemary Beckett, who was an incredible acquisition, but the development of these young ladies into fully uh, realised footballers. Yeah, what we've, what we've seen is that um, last year, it was probably fair to say that the Eels, Eels forwards were doing a, a reasonable job last year, but um, I don't know whether the the spine weren't able to take advantage of that, mm-hmm. but um, let's just say that as you as you said there before the the acquisition of uh, of Rosemary Beckett was a big one because the I think from memory came from St George, yes, from the Steelers, I think, or, or, or the Dragons. I always get confused in these grades, but she was out there as part of the Premiership team last year. Yes, yes. So her, her, and her and Bamblet have uh, done a tremendous job of steering the team around, Ashley and Cordage also been playing off that half. platform. You know, so and um, and and then then also we have to give uh, some credit to uh, the dummy half duties, which yeah, Pottage has uh, been outstanding at dummy half. Real, yeah, real yeah. powerhouse and, there. And then you, you then you've had uh, uh, KCQ that's come off it. Now, my apologies if I haven't pronounced Casey's surname uh correctly whether it's q is it key casey I'm not... casey key yeah apologies yeah. casey yeah yeah so um but uh, they're completely different styles of dummy half um you you've got um uh, pottinger who's a very physical very dummy yeah half. uh it can can stay on the field and and play a lock forward role Probably, much like yeah. you can see that is in the in the in the NRL or mm-hmm. in the uh, in the in the male uh, game of rugby league, the 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 tough dummy half who who has that capacity to play other roles within the pack and stay on the field, and she's very much like that. Um, whereas uh, uh, Casey's probably that that nippier player out of dummy half um, throws a sharp spiral pass as well out mm-hmm. of out of dummy half. Um, so they've got that balance that, um, well, no, I'm not even going to say the, that it's the balance when it comes it, to It's the, almost like the, the, the Riddell like Marsh a, sort of pairing we had back in the 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's it. It's, it's, it's like, it's a, uh, they complement each mm. other in, in one brings something different that the other doesn't bring. And that creates a bit of pressure on the defensive team at, at dealing with the attack coming in a slightly different way from around the ruck. Mm-hmm. So um, there's there's plenty to look forward to with this clash. Uh, um, look, plenty of respect to Newcastle. We haven't been able to see them play, but if they have racked up that points differential that is which exceeds the Eels, and I think they were finished might have maybe one point behind on the table. They are going to be a challenge for the girls to overcome. The girls have had the advantage of having a week off. It's meant that they're pretty much able to field a full-strength team. And speaking with Ryan Walker after the uh, 
uh, game against the Raiders, that was something that he was looking forward to, the fact that they had that week's rest to get over any niggles mm-hmm. to prepare for this game. Um, as you said, he's done a he's done a, a fantastic job as the as the coach this year. He and his staff they were um, they were happy but very composed after that that big win over the Raiders. So um, and I, yeah. I do. I mean, this is obviously for a place in the big dance. So hopefully, New South Wales Rugby League are able to broadcast these games out of Australia Jubilee because I think the other final is also uh, on the same location. Give me two seconds to check. Yeah, so the the Roosters and the Tigers will play out in Australia Jubilee at one thirty PM on a strange Saturday. time, but it's five yeah. five PM, isn't it? For yeah, the, for juniors, it's usually one thirty PM is the last kickoff you're going to get in the uh, reps. But uh, I imagine there must be if I look at the other spaces here. Ball, oh, it, it is a massive. Day. Okay, the SG Ball is playing at six forty five PM, uh, so they they're going all day out in Australia Jubilee. Harold Matthews. Okay, it, it it is just it kicks off at ten o'clock, and the last kickoff. So it kicks off at ten o'clock in the morning, with the last kickoff in the SG Ball being at six forty-five PM. So it is an absolute gala day of football out at Cogra. Yeah, so um, we'll be uh, we'll be providing coverage of that, but of course you're going to get you you will be getting streamed coverage on the New South. That, Wales that's what I'm hoping that there should be stream coverage too, because as much as I do love people participating on TCT. These sort of moments you want to be able to share uh, via broadcast too. Yeah, yeah. So um, we'll have the we'll have the live blog. Um, really looking forward to that game, and it will be um, good to have uh, one of the Eels teams in the uh, at the real pointy end of the final series after the disappointing exit of the Harold Matthews team last week. Mm-hmm. And we keep on keeping on, mate, moving on to senior football now or, or the lowest level senior football, starting with the Jersey Flag. Excuse me, starting with the Jersey Flag. Eels had a rousing comeback victory against the West Tigers uh, in round <clears throat> six. And they're going to look to back that up into a clash against the third place Newcastle Knights. Uh, this will be a good litmus test for the Eels after they got rolled over by the Roosters a couple of weeks ago. But that was with a very underhanded or understaffed uh, lineup. So now they've got a lot of their players back this week. Very keen to see how they take on the Knights. The Eels look like this with uh, Simon Wolford's men going Corey Fenning at fullback and captain with Josh Tupolotu and Toro Williams on the wings. Lockie Blackburn and Jarrell Kalachi round out that really exciting backline, actually. It's a good looking backline this week with uh, Duntori, Louis, and Ethan Sanders as that young but outstanding halves combination. In the front row, you've got Jack Colavardi and David Hollis as props. David Tui is a dummy half. Felix Nutelli Schmidt is back at the edge, and Peter Tateo joins him on the opposite side of the field. Brock Parker gets another start at lock forward. He was pretty good against the Tigers, based on what I saw from the footage, mate. On the bench, you've got Nicholas Lenars, Nick Raphael also back to shore up the back row depth. Taylor Mawala and big Larry Margatutia, sorry, Larry. And then Ben Olsen is the 18th man. Mate, I was able to watch footage of the victory over the West Tigers. It was a real solid um fight backs victory the the penalty count the um and penalty slash six again count was something like about seven or eight nil at half time and it they were they were doing well to stay within the contest um it didn't he didn't improve that much in the second half in terms of the the penalty count, but uh, towards the end there was a significant decision where the West Tigers had a 
player sent to the bin with about eight or nine minutes left on the clock. And the Eels were already fighting their way back. In fact, the, the sin binning came off a, a West Tigers player laying all over the Parramatta player with the um, right in the in the West red zone and the Eels threatening to score the try to uh, put them in front for the... Um, well, I don't know if it was the first time in the game, but it certainly um, it felt like it had been a while since they'd been in front during the game. It was a little bit seesawing, but... Um, it, as I said, it was a, a real strong effort from the team. Um, it was a game which could have easily gone either way. Um, the team has been disrupted lately, as you can expect. Very disrupted, you, yeah. So. If, you've got, if you've got disruptions to the NRL team, that causes disruptions to the New South Wales Cup team with uh, players um, having to be called up to NRL level. That then has that flow on where players from um, the Jersey flag get called up to New South Wales Cup level. Um, they've had their own injury concerns as well. So there's been uh, quite a few players in recent weeks that have been unavailable. This looks like um, one of the strongest lineups that I've seen them able yeah. to field this year. Missing their first-choice <laughs> dummy half in uh, Cruz, Natalie Schmidt. But uh, outside of that, their spine's back to three-quarter full strength. Fenning, Louis, Sanders, who have been so good when they've been on the field together. Uh, reunited last week, and it was no surprise that they were able to engineer a comeback because of it. But even then, just in that back line, mate, Tuapalotu, Blackburn, Kalachi, Williams, real class there. Forward pack is full of uh, high work rate, good impact guys. So, yeah, keen to see what they can do now if they can stay healthy. This will be a good test for them. Yeah, the, the uh, fullback Corey Fenning has been outstanding this year. He's He's been the fullback slash captain. He's been the goal kicker. As it turned out, his goal kicking was, the difference. was critical last mm-hmm. week. It was the difference in their 30-28 to 28 victory over the West Tigers. He six from six. Nailing from out wide. Um, yeah, very very composed uh, player. Um, del- had to do a little bit of talking with the referee last week just to, um, you know, express, look, we're doing everything that you're asking us to do, sir. Um, you you. There's lots of lots of calls that keep going against us when we're doing everything that you're asking. Uh, please keep talking to us, you know. So it was done all respectfully, and um, and uh, yeah, I, I look. I just thought it was a um, a really solid performance to come back and get that win because with so many disruptions that they've had lately, they just haven't had that continuity. That's the lot of lower grade football, but isn't, yeah, isn't it? You it? know, isn't that it? lack right. of continuity with the You're at the whims of other teams team. above and below you in terms of, you know, priority for players. And, you know, it's, it's tough. You get, you can consign to the, the sort of the park football grounds. You're the ones that your games get rescheduled all the time. Uh, you know, in the flag in particular, they, they get their games go from being a part of like a, a free Free piece set at like one of the major features to oh no you're going to go play at one of the parks very quickly and yeah, yeah. speaking of playing at one of the parks they're going to be playing Newcastle on the road but not part of the Sunday uh, big ticket there they're going to be out um, there Saturday Cessnock Sports Ground one thirty p.m. so that's uh, it, it, and again that just perfectly illustrates what you were talking about in in terms of where they're playing, the times they're playing, the fact that it can be moved at the last instant, at the last moment. You're not going to get that with NRL where, you know, one moment they're playing at, at Combank Stadium and the next they're, they're playing at ANZ mm-hmm. because of a, a late change. You don't get that. But when you're talking about playing at a lot of um, uh, local grounds, you with all the rain we've had lately, there's been ground closures. 
we've had literally last minute venue changes. We're talking about, you know, a couple of hours before kickoff having the venue changed on the players. That's what they, that's literally what's happened for both the flag and New South Wales Cup this year. Uh, but just before we end that, anyone that would like to uh, visit our Instagram account for the Cumberland Throw, we were able to put up footage of the Jersey flag fellas enjoying the celebrations in their sheds after the game last week. So even though we missed out on the NRL being able to uh, enjoy a victory song uh, last weekend, we at least were able to see footage of the Jersey flag um, uh, with their uh, Paris on Fire uh, victory song. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's uh, let's hope we see more of it this weekend. So um, New South Wales Cup, mate, it's at every grade. Isn't it interesting that even the even the Tasha Gale lined up? For, yeah, <laughs> yeah, kind of crazy, isn't it? That uh, all four grades active this week, all playing the Newcastle Knights, irrespective of like scheduled draws. It just happened to be that Newcastle won through in third place, and the Gale met in the second place, the Eels. But yeah, going on to that New South Wales Cup clash, mate. This is the curtain raiser to the NRL game on Sunday. Kicking off 11.30 a.m. This one will be broadcast on Foxtel and KO. So if you've got those avenues to watch the football, you can catch this one uh, on TV or stream. Eels looking to back up from that cr- uh, terrific victory over the Western Suburbs Magpies where they won 40-10. to 10. They've got a couple of changes this week. Uh, some good, some bad in terms of like team strength. But Ryan Carr making do as he will at fullback and captaining the team, which means that all three senior grades are captained and fullbacked. Uh, in the one spot. you got uh, Corey Fenning, Jordan Rankin, and Kutten Gufferson, obviously. But Jordan Rankin, captain of the team from fullback in the number one jersey. On the wings, you got Matthew Komalafi, who had a hat-trick against the Magpies. And I think... Do they have the stats here quickly? Just give me one second here, sorry. He might actually be... Where is the leading try? He is the second leading try scorer. And I think he's got like three New South Wales Cup games to his name, mate. He's scored one try, two tries, and three tries. In three weeks. So he's going all right, Matthew Komalafi. But partnering him on the flanks this week will be Moala Graham Taufer, who came across the Eels by way of the Roosters mid-season. In the centres, Zach Sini and Samuel Loizu. Both those players have been in great nick. In the halves, we do have one change this week, with Jacob Arthur getting the call to first grade. Brendan Hands moves from dummy half to 5'8", showing his positional versatility. He'll partner Jack A. Williams there. In the front row, we've got Kai Rodwell and Wiramu Gregg, institutions in the front row there for the Eels. Mitch Rain will be the, the uh, dummy half this week after dropping back from NRL duties. Unchanged back row, that features Ellie Elsgaham, Dan Keir, and Bryce Cartwright. Tell you what, Elsgaham had a heck of a game against the Magpies, mate. On the bench, you've got Jaden Yates, Tavita Talmapenu, Luca Moretti, and Ryan Jones, and that's actually unchanged, although cosmetically they have swapped jerseys from last week. Yeah, um, just a couple of observations. Um Matty Komalafi, it, it seems like he rises to the standard of the grade that he's playing Exactly, exactly so, how I see it, mate. He, you know, when he was playing flag, you wouldn't have thought he was due for a call-up to the cup, but opportunity came by way of injuries and promotions elsewhere, and he's just gotten to this grade and looks like he's a natural. Yeah. And one thing that we noticed when we were following him through the pathways is – that he was always someone who was able to ice the try when given the opportunity. And uh, much like um, one of his tries, where, which I saw in the um, in the highlights package from the New South Wales Cup game, where he beat something like three defenders in that, in that one little 
um, patch of ground in the corner to get mm-hmm. over for the try where you'd think this he's going to be shut down in in this position but he finds a way to get over that was what we would see so often in the uh in the junior reps where he'd find a way to get his get himself over the line so that's what you'd like to see from a winger the the players that were, are expected to if they're given the half chance to be able to convert it into tries so he's he's showing all good signs there um also wanted to mention Brendan Hands I think you might have said that he had quite a, a good game out of dummy half in the um, clash against the Magpies last week. So he's now showing that versatility being selected in the halves by virtue of circumstance. Eliel Zakim, but I think he was one of my tips for, or if not the tip of the next player to make an NRL debut. He's, he is definitely putting his name into that hat, mate. I've been very impressed with his... His impact, his work rate. I mean, the numbers against the Magpies, if I just give me two secs to pull it down for you, uh, going back to round six here. He um, led the way in terms of meterage. So I think he had about 186 metres, 184 metres off just 17 carries, I think it was. Uh, yep, 17 carries. Scored a great try run, um, running uh, in the wake of a really good carry by Samuel Loizu. Broke six tackles. Uh, and I think he got for a bit of defensive work too. Yeah, he got through 23 tackles with just one missed and zero on effective. He's doing everything he needs to do to put himself in the conversation for an NRL call-up when the opportunity comes. So, yeah, really looking forward to seeing how his journey progresses this year. Yeah, and maybe he doesn't get a call-up this year because you 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 really have to have circumstances fall your way for that to happen, whether be, it be through be player injuries. Just Mostly. Um, if you're and, a winger, you've got a good chance of playing for first grade for Parramatta at the moment. Yeah. If, he, if he was an outside back, he'd, he'd probably be a, almost a shoe-in to be getting a run. Um, but, uh, look, it might be that circumstances similar to last year where that uh, final game of the year against the Panthers allowed BA to debut a number of players in the one game. Uh, maybe there'll be a, a, a situation like that this year, but... I think when the time comes when he makes his NRL debut, I don't see him letting anyone down. Yeah, he's a big, powerful, rangy back rower. Um, I think that if he can just, obviously, like you said, if a chance comes this year, he's going to try and take it. But I think if he can just get through one more preseason where he just absolutely gives it his all, he's going to be a real big fixture uh, maybe next year in 2023. Yeah, and uh, very even with all the injuries, that's a very, very solid New South Wales Cup team that uh, Parramatta is able to field. So uh, we'll, we'll be interesting to see where that goes. And um, and then, of course, mate, that now leads us on to the main game. Yeah, main event, Parramatta Eels taking on the Newcastle Knights. It feels like every time we take on the Newcastle Knights over there, it's All Boys Day. But thankfully, uh, for once, it's a different celebration. Obviously, we already mentioned it, but it's Anzac Day. Uh, so, you know, very good background to this game for both teams. But... Uh, one that will have both teams equally fired up as opposed to when the Knights get up for their old boys' day. Uh, Newcastle Knights look like this. After re-signing Kalen Ponga, he'll be their captain and fullback on the wings, Edric Lee and Anari Tuala. Dane Gagai and Bradman Best make for a pretty formidable centre pairing. In the halves, it's Jake Clifford and Adam Clune, David Clemmer, Chris Randall and Daniel Saifidio, their front row, Frizzell, Brody Jones and Kurt Mann, the back row. On the bench, Phoenix Crossland, Jacob Saifidi, Leo Thompson and Suwaso Su. Extended roster features Simi Sasagi, Pasami Solo, Tex Hoy, Heimel Hunt, Jack Johns, Dylan Lucas, and Jaron Purcell. 
pretty reasonable all-around outfit, but for the Eels, they've got a couple of changes this week themselves. Captain of the team from fullback, Quinton Gufferson. Hayes Perrin making his second start for the Eels. You mentioned that game against Penrith last year, 60s. That's uh, his third cap now for the Eels, but his second start. He'll be on the left wing, that cursed spot. He'll be partnering Tom Opacek provisionally out there. Uh, we have to wait and see on some of those. You, we sort of mentioned it with Spiro, but sort of there's some question marks about a few players in this lineup, given the uh, rush to get the team list named. Will Penasini returns to right centre, where he'll partner Bailey Simonson on that flank. Dylan Brown, Mitchell Moses, the halves. Big Reagan Campbell Gillard is named to partner Junior Paulo. Going to watch and see how he pulls up for the week. Reed Marnie, the dummy half. It's an unchanged back row. Sean Lane, Isaiah Papali'i, and Nathan Brown. On the bench, a couple of changes. Uh, we've got Makahesi Makatoa and Ryan Madison returning for them ro- for their roles from last week. But Oregon Kafusi drops back to the bench to make way for Junior Polo. And then you've got Jake Arthur replacing Mitch Rain in the 17th spot. Bryce Cartwright, Mitch Rain, Wira McGregg, Kai Rodwell, Samuel Luizu, Ellie Elsgaham, and Zach Sini are the extended Eels, mate. Yeah, I, I'm, we, we mentioned that there was a, a couple of players that we figure must have some level of doubt given the the fact that they were removed from the field during the clash against the West Tigers, that being um, both Regan Campbell-Gillard and Tom Opechik. Um, our fingers crossed that they, they do come through this week, but um, when, as we talked about, when the team has to be named within 24 hours and, and probably you know even closer to 12 hours than 24 hours, uh, from the time that they left the field to the time that the team had to be submitted to the NRL, it's, um, geez, it's a, it's a, it could be a tough ask if they don't uh, make it to the field, um, because you you have to think, well, how on earth is the team going to be constructed from there? I mean, if you if you're looking at um, the um, the prop scenario, Kafusi K- K- obviously got- comes into the starting team. And then on the bench, you've got options between Greg and Rodwell, I suppose. I think that's about yeah. it in terms of middles. Yeah, that that's that's really what you'd be, you know, having to having to look at. It's um, gee, you know, and then you in, the, uh, back, and in then, the back line. I don't even want to talk about that, mate. Like, what do you, you go? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> You can put a back rower out there like Cartwright or Madison, but then that just weakens your middle rotation, especially if Madison. Uh, you could go a, a young gun like Luizu or Zaxini. Well, they're the ones that are named the extended list that are, that are the backline players. So you'd have to assume that if if we lose a backline player that, uh, like Tom Opechik, then... You're either you're either looking at a at a reshuffle, or you or you're looking at, um, you know, the one of those players coming into the team. I mean, this, this all might be moot if if Tom gets through this week. So it really depends. Your, your mind can't I, help but stray going to the worst case scenario, given our luck this year. Yeah, well, look, I just didn't like the fact that he was down on the ground for as long as he was. Yeah, it, it clearly I, indicated that there was potentially something serious involved there. Uh, especially That's when you, right. you go I mean, back and my initial impression was Luciano must have led with an elbow, but it turns out it was just a legal fend. So yeah. it makes you all the more concerned because Opacic is not playing for uh, a penalty in, you know, in terms of getting back up and going on with the game. It was clearly something uh, you know, potentially serious at heart there. Yeah, yeah. And he's, he's yes, he was able to uh, walk off the field, but 
they didn't hesitate in replacing him. And yeah, I just get I'm I'm always concerned when you have players who have very clearly suffered an injury within 24 hours oh, of teamless Tuesday. Of teamless Tuesday, and they're and they're named, and we know that in those sort of circumstances, that um, it's it's an like if the, if the team hasn't even trained, you know, may, maybe they might have just had a chance to get together for a recovery day, um, but really, there's there's going to be minimal assessment by then. Then they're simply naming names at well, that stage. To, further to that point, the Eels have seven official players on the injury report, which means out of their top thirty, they actually don't can't name a full twenty-four allotment. So they need to be drawing on either development players or second-tier players. And so it feels like they've just gone, okay, let's get 24 players we can name out there and then we'll deal with the consequences once the scans come in. Yeah. And I know there's been a bit said about the uh, Canterbury situation with uh, COVID and that could spiral into being a worst-case scenario. But, um, you know, it's... I don't want any more injuries. Let's just be let's just be frank. We 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 can't afford any more injuries. I mean, um, let's talk about the most obvious thing that needs to be addressed, which is the eels' defence. It it cannot function as it has been this year, and and have us expecting uh, a, a victory or um or have title aspirations now. I don't think that the issue is systematic at the moment. I think um, I think it's the um, it comes down to individuals. There is a, a lot of hit and stick that isn't happening. And having a look at it, and it's something that I'm writing about in the in in my uh, bumpers up, is they're averaging something in the vicinity of 34 missed tackles and around 17 ineffective tackles per week. Now that's an average, and we know that they like last week. I think the combined total came to over sixty yep. against the West Tigers. Correct. Now we're talking about it coming to over sixty against a team which has been struggling, struggling to score anything near uh, double-digit points in a match, and yet they've caused the Eels to basically have sixty poor attempted tackles. Now, how does how does that work? And, and as I said, uh, it's it's not a systemic sort of issue there. That's it's not like they're catching the eels short on one side or the other. They were breaking tackles through the middle of the field, through the edges. It just was a bad look against the West Tigers, and it's been a bad look in other games where mm-hmm. we've just opened up and. We've scrambled well to nullify the attack when they've uh, when they busted us wide open. When other teams have busted us wide open, and you even look at it and you go, "Geez, we beat the Storm in Melbourne." And then then you also look at it, and we I think we had forty four missed tackles against the Storm. Such was the the scramble effort to save it, but that was forty four missed tackles in that game. Yep. So it's not going away. It's there every week, and it is that simple inability to hit and stick. And I don't know. It's it's obviously it's more than one player. Um, I think probably 
uh, play, someone like Reed Marnie's been credited with with probably the most uh, missed tackles that's happening out there, um, and that obviously comes courtesy of the fact that he, he he's attempting between forty and fifty tackles per game. So you're going to get a lot of misses that come there, but um, yeah, it's it seems to be team wide that there's uh, misses that are happening. So what's the answer, mate? I mean, is it are they going to have to just take a walk into that big room of mirrors? Is that is it as simple as that? Is there is it is there an attitude problem within them when it comes to defence? Uh, it's it's so hard to put the finger on it when you're on the outside looking in, mate. Uh, as we've discussed in the past, because we know that the team preps very thoroughly, uh, and it just comes down to I suppose to once that opening whistle blows. And we, we spoke about it, but the, the attention to details and your application of effort, and it feels like against the West Tigers in particular, but also against a couple of those other games you mentioned early in the season, uh, the the intent defensively hasn't been there. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know how you get that right. Do you sit him down in a room and let him you know, open up on each other? Is it like is it more film review? Is it more like you know, field work in terms of defense? I don't know. That, that, that's And that's why, you know, the coaches have to deal with all the the, uh, the real issues when it comes to the NRL and get very little glory. Uh, so yeah, I don't envy the Paramount coaching staff having to figure this stuff out. But they, that's where we're at because they, they do need to tie this up ASAP. Well, having watched the um, pretty much the entire preseason, they hit defensive technique right at the start of the preseason. Like right at the start, they were working on defensive technique. I, I'm and I, I mean we're we're talking about. I mean they had they were they reworked the systems, but they were also, as I said, working on technique. And I'm I'm talking about both individual and also uh, when you when you're talking about two or three in a tackle, just their systems of two and three in a tackle, but also that that individual um, tackle technique as well. And as I said, it comes back to that simple hit and stick yep you've seen that initial contact just hasn't been strong enough i agree and i agree and um and as i said i i don't know that we're necessarily pinpointing individual players here it's just and how often are we seeing it that when 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 an opposition player makes a bust how often do we see a sequence of four or five players falling off them that, that's that's the really discouraging thing is what we saw against the West Tigers. In particular, David Nofaluma, it felt like, uh, had, had sequences of play where he beats the initial man, okay, whatever. That's It sucks, but you sort of you know deal with it. But then it go, becomes three, four, five missed tackles. Yeah, yeah. It was – and there was – there were sequences where um, you'd see them going the, – the West Tigers – players going on like a almost a crabbing run through the meat of the of the defense bouncing off one defender than the next and not appearing to be doing anything special to beat the defender it would just be like this um dare i say it a sequence of arm grabs mm-hmm. i agree so so that's um, that, that's got to be rectified as quickly as possible and uh you know i know that there's been talk about uh, building our way into seasons more efficiently and, you know, not, you know, coming out and, and overexerting and blowing our load too early and then falling into a slump because of it. But by the same token, there are certain standards you need to have as a baseline. 
Well, I don't see, uh, you, you just referenced it then, the, the criticism about um, the Eels' early season form and opening themselves up for a, a late season slump. That early season form that we, you were talking about last year, it was all about intensity and whether the Eels were able to continue playing at that sort of intensity. Now, that intensity is really measured in defence. I'll tell you what, I don't think we're, I don't think when it comes to intensity that that's a word that can be used in relation to our defence this year. No. Uh, no. Maybe there's small patches there, but we are certainly, as you said, we're, we're, we're not expending all of our energy early season this year. Now, whether that means, as you said, that we're building into the season and we're not, um, we're not peaking too early. I, I, and I don't like even using that term about yeah. peaking too yeah. early because even last year when we had that, that slump, which I think amounted to about a three or four week slump, and in the context of a season, that becomes very little. And we were back on track come finals time anyway. I mean, take out that Panthers game in the final round where we basically selected a New South Wales Cup team to take on the Panthers and it blew out in the second half. But the the form right at the end and then hitting the finals, we were hitting peak form at the right time of the year mm-hmm. last year and circumstances robbed us of that opportunity to progress past the Panthers and we won't go back over ancient history, but um, we knew we know that that was one of those rare matches where events were out of our control. And, and that's just plain and simple um, what, what unfolded out there on the field. Um, now, right at the moment, as I said, there's not too much in the way of the intensity um, there's no risk that the the team's not gonna um, not gonna be peaking early based on what we're seeing at the moment. Um, so if they are building into the season, I still don't like the way they they're going about it in that regard. That's fair. That is very fair. I agree. I, I, I you know, defense is a measure of attitude, and I don't know how there'd, there'd be anything. I, I don't. I I don't believe that this is something that they're happy with. I don't believe that this is something where they just say, oh, we'll get better at this. There's nothing to worry about here. <clears throat> I, I think that it's a, it is a worrying trend for me. I don't like seeing it. Um, and that, for me, is the biggest concern going into this game against Newcastle. Because let, let me be blunt about this. I believe every single top eight team would have easily accounted for the West Tigers last week. Apart from a, um, an ins- uh, a a really good performance from Jackson Hast- Jackson Hastings, and and a, 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 enough of a measurable lift from the West Tigers for us to say that was one of their better performances of the year, they were still so imminently beatable in that game, and their performance was so far below a top eight team that it was. It, it was embarrassing to have lost that game at home in front of over 28,000 people celebrating the 75th anniversary of the Eels. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to move away from it. It's, it's not a case of um, the world is going to end or panic stations, but that was just 
an awful, awful performance in terms of who the opposition was and the way the match was played. And I'm seeing a repeat performance of the defensive qualities of the Eels or lack thereof every week. So when you're talking about this week's game, my big concern is the Eels' defence. Mm-hmm. Well, let's take us to our, our predictions, mate, because that is a good thing to make a point of emphasis for how we see this game playing out. And I know well, I was on the uh, Para podcast the other day and I said that part of that was where my emphasis wanted to be. I wanted to see us have not necessarily a high-scoring win, but really try and put the clamps on Newcastle as we get back to basics. And I tipped a 20-4 to or 20-6 to victory. I can't remember correctly which one it was. But, you know, with that real focus on, you know, locking Newcastle out, and you're going to give up some points almost certainly because, you know, shutouts are very rare in the NRL. But, yeah, I would love to see a single-digit points conceded margin today. or Sorry, Sunday. Um, I'm gonna. I, I I can't see it. Um, I see this as being, um, if not a an exceptionally high point scoring game. I think it's gonna be um, both teams getting points on the board. Um, I'm gonna tip a twenty six twenty four. Oof, victory. The Eels. I mean, you, you, so take, you take the, a win, but geez, you would not be happy with that. No. Um, can it? Let's be honest. Um, Parramatta has one of the best attacking records in the NRL, but have a look at our defensive numbers. Yeah. You know, like I'm, I'm just, just going to to that now. Our, um, what are we looking at? Our, our, our points against is. 125 across six rounds. So, yeah, we are, just up we at, are under 21 points the, a game. Yeah, we are, we are by far the worst in the, in the top eight. Like, no other team in the top eight has conceded more than 100 points. There you go. And whilst we're, whilst we're sitting right at the top end in terms of the points four, which, which gives us a decent, um, points differential. That those yeah the points against of 125 is just yeah it's nowhere near enough. You mentioned it's over 20 points a game, and how do you, do you win titles conceding more than 20 points a game? Um, no, not when not when you're talking about having um, two two of the first six matches against the Titans. And uh, another one against the uh, West Tigers, um, and another one against St George, who aren't being aren't really renowned for their points um, points scored. I mean, and we got we did get a decent result against the St George Dragons, so both in but points for and against. So, um, yeah, I'm 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 highly disappointed with what's happening in terms of our defensive qualities and this might be the most negative that I've ever sounded in a in a podcast or maybe maybe it's being reflected in the in the previous week that I'd had but I have genuine concerns about this match and I'm not someone who comes out and and talks about concerns I said at the start of this I'm trying to be find that glass half full this week and I, I'm going to admit I'm struggling mate I am struggling to find the glass half full. 
and I think it's that combination of having so many injuries that has me concerned. And it also has that. It also comes back to that defence. I really, really don't like it, and and even more so than the issues that we were having on the right hand side last last year. You know, I looked at that as um, as as much of the issues around our defensive systems as maybe one or two individuals not communicating out that side. I'm just seeing it as team wide at the moment. Am I wrong in seeing it as team wide? Do you think? I think you can definitely point out. Uh, across each of the different corridors, uh, pretty obvious issues defensively. So it probably is fair to say that it is team wide. Yeah. So yeah. So that leads me to that uh, prediction of the twenty six twenty four. I see us conceding more than twenty four points, uh, more than twenty points again. So um, well, hopefully, I don't, it falls my way for the prediction. But I would not be surprised to see us at least uh, getting out to double digits by any measure. So, um, yeah, I, you know, I, I have, con- I, as I said, I have concerns. Um, so hopefully I'm wrong in those concerns. Um, first try scorer, I'm not even, I haven't even been getting close with these, <laughs> with these, these pretty. <laughs> They're making it tough um, for us. All right, look, I'll, I'll go for, uh, uh, Will Penasini as first try scorer this week. My tip was the um, bloke outside him when on the power, the power podcast, so I went Bailey Simonson. Yeah, um, I'll I'll go for a bit of redemption this week. I'll nominate Ice as best on field. I think he's got a bit to make up for for last week. I thought that his first half last week, you know, and it, and it might sound tough to say this, but I thought it was. Um, his worst in an eels jumper oh, because I don't think I don't think I don't think in the time that he's been with the eels that he's produced too much less than a, a seven out of ten yeah. performance. Is is you know he he went from his performances have ranged from really tough workaholic performances through to um, you know some of his games last year he was absolutely absolutely the game breaker in games um, and he's given us his best in every game that he's been in last week, that first half, it was, it, it was a nightmare for him. And mm-hmm. I think he turned it around when he got that try um, in the first half. And then we saw more of that workman like ice in the second half, but um, you know, everything from, uh, lost possession through to I thought there was one where he just he got off the tackle far too early when the Tigers were right on our line, and um, and I, so I actually put that down as a almost a defensive error, um, so just to climb off the tackle so quickly. It was just yeah, it wasn't a good performance, but I'm tipping him for the bounce back because he's been so consistent with us that I just think that will have hurt him. That will have really eaten at him last week's game. Um, Shelley referenced Nathan Brown really being upset at the end of the game. And, you know, I, I, again, this because I wasn't able to get to the game, I couldn't see it. But she said when that field goal went over, he threw his mouth guard to the ground and was um, just furious with what had transpired in the game. I'm hoping that there's a lot of players feel that way because maybe that attitude is going to 
lift the defensive qualities of the team. Mm-hmm. So, mate, your your tips now. Yeah, well, You've- after you know the, my first try score, obviously Bowie, and then the twenty to four, twenty six margin. Um, my best on field. Oof. Maybe I'll, I'll go to an, a player that's coming back this week in Junior Paulo. I think the Eels felt his absence uh, by some considerable measure against the West Tigers, just shoring up that middle corridor. And if there is something wrong with Reagan Campbell Gillard, we're going to be leaning heavily on Junes this week. So I'll go for the co-captain as my best on field this week. Mate, it, it, you know what? As we're wrapping up this podcast, there's a part of me that, that feels like um, I wasn't myself in this podcast, that I was I was finding the negatives in things. So if our listeners have, have picked up on that and they're 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 critical of me in that regard, I'm I, I'm I'll concede. It uh, it feels like that to myself this week. But um you know I, I I feel like I've had to be realistic this week because I was I was really that disappointed in in the effort last week. So um let's hope that things turn around. Yeah. And uh and as a and 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 let's get beyond the Tasha Gale girls this week and um hopefully we see an Eels team in the in the grand final in junior reps. Yes, sir. And on that note I think we'll wrap it all up. It's been a massive podcast this week with the uh, addition of the boys from the Grey Stains Devils in a, uh, in alongside obviously Spiro going behind the mic. So hopefully you enjoyed it all. Hopefully the Eels can get a big win on the weekend with a bit of defense at the heart of it all. I'll have to wait and see how that plays out, though. Newcastle obviously going to be fired up on the back of their K1 Ponga retention news. But, yeah, there's a lot of football to be played this weekend. We'll be on top of all of it, and uh, we'll see you guys on the other side.